Good evening, I'm Darcy. And I'm Hannah. Welcome to Real Bites. The podcast where we, as film students, put our limited coherent thoughts into words to discuss classic films. In this episode, we'll be discussing the 1925 film, The Lost World, based on the novel by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Stay tuned for our thoughts on loyal boyfriends, monkey suits, and delinquent brontosauruses. Let's go. So the film is based on the book by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and it's about dinosaurs. The plot centers around this guy, Callenger, who claims to have found dinosaurs, and he brings together a team of people to go and show them the dinosaurs in this plateau in, I think it's in South America. And then Malone, who is this reporter, gets in on the expedition because his girlfriend kind of pressured him into it. She's like, you're not a man. You're not brave enough. You never do anything dangerous. And he's like, well, I'm going to the dinosaurs. How to test so they go to the plateau. What were you saying? said, how to test your boyfriend 101. <laughs> I know. <laughs> how manly are you? How manly are you? I think it's like a mark of a sensible man not to do anything dangerous, but I guess <laughs> she wasn't having it. And the, the funniest part is... Yeah, so they go to the plateau, and then they get trapped there for a while, they get back. And the funniest part is this guy who claims he found dinosaurs, and he has the diary of this other guy who was drawing them, and that's what he uses as evidence. He just uses pictures as evidence. Not even pictures, they're just drawings, like sketches. (laughs) Yeah, he just wanted to doodle something, he's like, this is my evidence, accept it. And they got funding for this expedition. They're like, you know what? We could get funding if we say it's a rescue expedition. (laughs) And I wonder in the olden days if you could just claim you were going somewhere obscure and then take the funding and just go somewhere else, start your life in another country anew. What if you claim you saw something in space and then you get funding for that? You just get like a free trip to the moon. I don't know. They didn't have the technology, but that's the general idea of how it worked. It was wild. Like, yeah, I saw dinosaurs. Give me funding, and then they give you funding, and <laughs> you know, you if you disappear, they they'll just assume the dinosaurs ate you. Something I found interesting, plot-wise and like character-wise, was that the moment of shock at first meeting the dinosaurs was not emphasized. Like in Jurassic Park, you know, you have Ellie and Alan and Malcolm, and they're all in awe of this dinosaur. They're in the car. We see their reactions really up close. Here, we don't see Malone's reaction. And I like to assume he's neutral, like, yep, another day reporting on the field. Same old. <laughs> they have quite a bit of stock footage of animals, which, I mean, it looks like stock footage. It probably is. I find it funny that they had stock footage in the 1920s. But I mean, like, when I was, when I was watching it, I was thinking, like, this was made in 1925. That's, like, almost 100 years ago. That so is, yeah. the fact that they were able to pull off these effects kind of blows my mind. Like, they, didn't, they couldn't even put in sound, but they managed with the special effects, which is really cool. That's insane. They used models, right? And, I mean, looking now, because we have Jurassic Park, which was heavily researched in terms of how the animals would have moved, and this one kind of looks clumsy in comparison, but <laughs> for a hundred years ago, this is really, really good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. They didn't have a lot to go on then. Too. like the research wasn't as progressed and I wonder if they thought humans existed at the, at the same time as dinosaurs because they also have this prehistoric man character like this ape man 
he wears this suit, and it just made me think how hot it would be in that suit. Or do that to like sit in the suit and like paint his face. I know. Walk. Uh, <laughs> like a gorilla. Yeah. They like the research in terms of that area was not very. Four hundred so, years ago, still, we'll, we'll let it slide. Yeah, we will. <laughs> um, oh, another plot element is there was this volcano. At the at one point, they were like, first they thought, you know, we'll never get off this island, ah, and then there's a volcano. Yeah, so, um, going, like, the plot, basically, it's like, because they, they go in the forest, right, they find the dinosaur, things are going alright, and then they face, like, a little problem, and then the story continues, and they just walk around, and then they face another problem, and then they walk around, and they face another problem, and then at the end, they go home. So I guess there's, like, many conflicts instead of, like, one big overall conflict. Or I guess the big overall conflict is that they can't escape, but um, it's funny how they include, include, like, cute little things. Like, oh, we have, like, a volcano. Or, like, the dinosaur knocked off our bridge. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That's my favorite character, the Brontosaurus. And my favorite moment is when he casually walks and just throws their bridge off the cliff and then goes back the way he came. Like, I'm just here to wreck havoc and we're going. <laughs> he ends yeah. up in London, too. Sees the world. Yeah. So, I think the plot overall could have been a little bit more gripping. Mm -hmm. But again, for a hundred years ago to make a dinosaur film, I think, I think they did pretty good. They did the best they could, yeah. I don't know, like I have never I've never read the book, so I can't compare the two. Yeah. I know Conan Doyle was generally a pretty good writer, but adaptations, man. <laughs> so special effects. The models were made by I think Marcel Delgado and he based these designs on Charles Knight's iconic dinosaur paintings which he did for the Museum of Natural History. And then the special effects were the work of Willis O'Brien, who then worked on King Kong, the original 1933 film. And these effects, this kind of stop motion, took a period of many years to create because, you know, you have many frames per second, and each frame you have to take a separate picture, pose the models, do the lighting, and then... And so after they they had finished with the models, they brought in the human stars. Wow. Yeah. It's so grueling to think about like doing that. That's crazy. And this film had the major support of Hollywood Studio, which, you know, Conan Doyle is British, but I guess he got his leg in the game in America <laughs> as well. The cinematography is really pretty. There was a lot of times when I would look at it and think, wow, that's clever. I like the nature shots. Mm -hmm. Of the trees and the jungle and, like, those were really well made. They gave a good sense of space and time and built the world well. It was believable. What were you saying about the clothing? Uh, I said I liked the way they dressed the, the actors as yeah. well. I didn't really notice it, but I guess that's that means it was good. Because it didn't stand out as being completely wrong. No, they blended in with, with the whole theme, the jungle theme. Yeah. The acting, as in silent films, it's the mimicry is a little strange. 
like at one point the girl is doing something and this guy just stands behind her with his hand on her shoulder the whole time kind of feel like he's useful some elements are a bit awkward but it was a hundred years ago yeah um another thing is the music that they put i thought it was good i think it went pretty well so more variety in the music usually you have violin suspense 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 and then like it goes down again and then violin suspense suspense like if they had some pauses of just like complete silence at some intense moments and then bring up the music a little bit I think that could have been more effective because after a while I kind of tuned it out oh that's interesting on how the absence of sound could have strengthened the film even if it's just for a brief few seconds I think that would have been effective yeah I wonder if the original if the music on the kind of video file we looked at the film through which is online for free I wonder if that's the original music that was written for the film. Oh, yeah, we can look at that. Like, I'm wondering if it's the original music. I don't know if there's a way we could check. Probably not, because we have to go back in time. But it's a major Hollywood production. I think we might have had enough money to, like, soundtrack for it. Make some music, not just some vaudeville. Yeah. I mean, I guess it did go pretty well with the, with the, the film. Some variety, I think, could have been a little bit more. I see what you mean, because, like you're saying, it, it was more annoying because the plot wasn't so good. Like, if the plot was better, our problems with the music wouldn't wouldn't be as noticeable. Yeah. Because, yeah. You're, because the plot isn't that good, you're suddenly focusing and criticizing the music, too. So. Yeah, yeah, I like the way you put that. The title cards? I found them <laughs> funny. <laughs> Compared to other silent films, because they used so many italics, it was, it's insane. And exclamation marks. And exclamation marks. They just threw those out like <laughs> penny candy. I don't know what the phrase is, but they sprinkled them in, and generously at that. Just to make up for the, for the music. To make up for the music and the lack of plot, they're like, you know what? We still have a chance of making interesting the title cards. So but one that's thing, what we're gonna do. <laughs> I'm glad they left the title cards up for a while because I don't know how long they'd be up for, so I, I'd have to speed read through them. But then they were on the screen long enough for me to put it in my head and like imagine them, the characters saying them. Yeah, I don't really imagine. I like usually read title cards in my own voice, like I read book books in my own voice. But it's fun oh, to imagine sense. different characters talking. Or like I mean, sort of process this line as something that character would say. Because, you know, when you're watching like a normal film with sound, like a modern film, you get the subtitles and they appear as the words are being spoken, so you don't have to worry about not catching what they say yeah. if you can't read it quickly enough. But that means, like, everyone in the olden days had to be literate to completely understand the film, I guess. Sometimes the characters will say something on screen and there won't be a title card for it. So if they guess... <laughs> Yeah, so you just have to guess. I think that's interesting, though, because, you know, in real life, if you're looking at someone far away, you don't understand what they're saying. And sometimes in books, like, a very specific dialogue kind of gets to me. It's like, just summarize it. <laughs> Show me the gist. Like, P.G. Woodhouse does this when he writes. It's like, I asked her if she had done this, and she replied she had. So you're not getting direct dialogue, you're just getting the general feeling. And it's a lot 
it's rare in books and films today, but in silent films, they just cut out the title cards and they got that effect. Otherwise, I, I think the films would be really long if you had to put up like every line of dialogue. Yeah. Well, it worked without them. I'm yeah. glad it wasn't any longer. It was it was long enough. Yeah. So much trivia. Yeah. Exciting facts about the film. So, in 1922, the test reel was shown to the Society of American Magicians by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and this society included Harry Houdini. Harry Houdini, he, I, I think he was really into the like the film industry because he was friends with Buster Keaton. He was see like meeting up with Conan Doyle. That man was into film, which is surprising. So cinema literally was magic. Yeah. Cinema and magic are closely tied together. Yes. Harry Houdini knew it. This film, an actual fun fact, is this film was the first in-flight movie. And no it was <laughs> Yeah. Like in-flight movies. They had in nineteen twenty-five, apparently hundred years ago. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, apparently they had in-flight movies back then, which is insane. And they chose this one. They're like, you know what people want to see when they're on an airplane? Dinosaurs. And they showed it. It was on an Imperial Airways flight. Wow. The flight was from London to Paris. Wait, wow. that doesn't make sense. The flight's not that long. London and Paris are like a centimeter apart. But maybe planes were really slow at the time. <laughs> I hadn't it thought was of that. It years ago. <laughs> <laughs> a whole century. Yeah. The fact that they could get from London to France in the air is remarkable in itself. That is funny. I have to check, like, the flight distance now, because I'm curious. Flight distance from London to France? No, like, the flight time. Flight time from London. Not that far away. Two hours and 16 minutes. Oh. For me, it tells me it's only an hour and 20 minutes. Oh. Well, I guess this film isn't that long. Maybe they didn't show the whole thing. Interesting. Wow, yeah. I like that fact. I learned some geography now. Awesome. <laughs> I thought they were way closer. Oh, and yeah, obviously the the Lost World, which was the book, and then it was this film, the 1925 film, and it, it was, I think, a play and more films. Not sure about that. Maybe it might be confusing it. But it's also the namesake of the second Jurassic Park film, of the more modern series. Mm. And I think that's a cute homage that they chose this name. It is. This was the first dinosaur-oriented big film, and it led to, you know, expired this giant monster genre, and it paved the way for that, like King Kong, and then obviously the later Jurassic Park, Park films. There's a trope in it of, like, the creature on rampage in a city and the effect of the film is quite focused on balancing spectacle and story which this film i, I don't think it has a lot of story <laughs> that's my personal opinion um speaking of opinion what's your opinion hannah on the movie overall well yeah all right it was not really my cup of tea to be honest i felt it was a bit slow um, not very gripping, <laughs> but, um, 
I did admire, it's cool to see how things were done a hundred years ago. This was a film, like a Hollywood film, so I thought, you know, respect to that. But when I watch it, if I'm bored and have nothing else to do, probably not. But yeah, I'm so glad I saw it. What about you? Well, the characters, I don't think the characters really appealed to me that much, and I think that's part of what weakened the plot. And especially, like, the guy, Monroe. He forgets about his girlfriend halfway through, <laughs> and I was just thinking, you know, what a loyal guy. So admirable of him. Look at him go. Just, like, you know, maybe getting his... a new girlfriend in the jungle. Maybe his girlfriend sent him there on purpose. She just wanted to get rid of him. <laughs> That's a thought. <laughs> but, I mean, I would want to get rid of him. I'm kidding. <laughs> Let's get married. Don't want to mention the, like, the other girlfriend. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The characters are weird, I think. Like, the, them getting into a fight in the beginning, in the apartment. That oh was also God. weird. What was that? Yeah. Monroe's just an asshole. He's like... He started it after he broke into the other guy's house. And... Whatever, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, plot and character development could have used a little more. There's a bit, like... My favorite character was, as I mentioned before, the Brontosaurus. I love the theme of dinosaurs ripping up trees and tossing them around especially this specific dinosaur that's the only thing he does throughout the film and then he you know goes to london yep. but i feel like i would watch a film about this specific dinosaur when he goes to london they missed an amazing opportunity to put london bridges falling down they please that would have been hilarious was that like phrase around at the time it right now uh 2005 <laughs> No, is that a film? I think the the song is. Oh, it was published in 1744. So yeah, it was around. Well, it was around at the time. They missed the opportunity for a pun. I'm sorry, that would have been perfect. Perfect for the film. But the dinosaur uprooting trees for fun? That is a movie I would watch. <laughs> and the, the models are cool. I don't. I admire them a lot. Like the dinosaurs, the faces are so detailed, and they have these close-ups and the mixed shots of humans and dinosaurs. I mean, they tried. Doesn't look too good, but they tried. They tried. How and long I did this take? That. Pardon? How long did this take to make? Oh, years. Like first the models, and then they filmed the human stuff after they were done. The I mean, like, how long did it take to produce? Actually, I'm I'm gonna Google this. A couple of years from what I understand. It doesn't say. Yeah. There's not a lot of information about these old films. Probably a lot. <laughs> Apparently for the live action scenes, an open sewer behind the studio uh, they were making this in, in Los Angeles was used as a river. <laughs> oh. Oh, wow. Okay. Nice. Crap. <laughs> what a glamorous job these films guys had. <laughs> Like, where are you shooting this Hollywood production film? Uh, behind the sewer. <laughs> in the sewer. Join us, you know? Yeah. So, yes, this was The Lost World. Alright. I would like recommend just... watching some of it, just to get the gist of it, and see, you know, just have that in the back of your head of what old dinosaur films look like. And if you're interested in dinosaurs, and classical music <laughs> in the 1900s. This is the film for you.
Well, this wraps up today's episode. You've been listening to the Real Bites podcast, the podcast where we discuss classic films in bite-sized episodes. Today's episode was about dinosaurs, so the bite was not bite-sized. It was a lot bigger, human-sized. That wasn't funny. (laughs) (laughs) It was kind of bite. Brontosauruses apparently took from trees, according to filmmakers in the 1920s. Oh, stop. I think we should end the episode. Okay. This podcast is free to listen to, and as of now, it's available on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, TikTok, and LinkedIn. We'll be expanding to other platforms soon, so stay tuned. Find all the links at realbytes.card.co, which is spelled R-E-E-L-B-I-T-E-S dot C-A-R-R-D dot C-O. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Bye.